The only purpose of the Talking Space podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. We choose to go to the moon. Another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space Podcast episode 229 for the week of August 30th, 2010. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me today, as always, are Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Hello, Sawyer. Dog tired, but we're here. Glad to hear that. We'll have to find out why a little later in the show. <laughs> we went triple happy, but anyway, it's another long story. <laughs> Welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Uh, usually we talk about blast off and touchdown, but uh, got a little bit of lift off and landing to talk about today. Sounds like quite an intriguing conversation then. And also welcome, Gina Hurley. Hey, Soya, how are you tonight? Doing good, thank you. All right, so let's get started. The first topic is STS-133 is continuing to move along, and in fact, they're trying to speed it up a little bit because they were a little bit behind schedule, right, Gene? Yeah, from what I'm seeing here, um, I'm going to quote here from nasaspaceflight.com. This is dated, I believe, uh, August 27th. Um, it looks like there was a, uh, a late call install for a tool stowage display. It required the reopening of uh, the uh, payload bay doors on Discovery. Um, that, but uh, the uh, rollout still remains on track for uh, September 8th. Uh, I believe the decision to install the, um, the uh, tool stowage assembly, or TSA, um, came as a little bit of a surprise to the engineers on in the, in the uh, OPF, or had already sort of completed the final closure of that thing. Um, apparently, this thing. Um, apparently, also there's something else that's flying on board here too. There's something. There's a little um, container that will contain about thirty thousand uh, mission patches. Uh, apparently, um, these are to be uh, flown souvenirs. Um, I guess to be given out by uh, to give I don't know where they're going to be going but probably over to contractors and and the team over at, uh, at the OPF that uh, prepared discovery uh, that's just a guess don't quote me on that um, but uh, so the uh, this particular item is going to be you know, pulled out reinstalled and uh, uh, again discovery still on target for uh, September 8th for a rollout all right, and of course, launch of Discovery is scheduled for November 1st, 2010. Continuing along, you were mentioning that the rollout is coming up, and how are they rolled out? On what are known as the crawlers, and the crawlers actually just got a little bit of an upgrade, right? 
Yeah, well, actually they, they did, but um, it was sort of a forced upgrade. I believe uh, there was a lightning strike on uh, on uh, uh, crawler transporter number two. Um, they also found out uh, found some damage um, on some recently installed, uh, you know, quote special electrical equipment. Close quote. Again, this is uh, from a report dated uh, August 29th, also from uh, nasaspaceflight.com. Um, so those two are 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 under uh, under repair right now, but they'll they'll be uh, they'll be ready to go. As um, now, everybody was kind of wondering about the uh, the, the tower structure uh, that uh, was built for exclusively for Ares One. Um, this thing had just reached, I believe, the three hundred and forty five foot mark. In fact, I believe there was a closed uh, uh, ceremony. To celebrate that fact that the thing had actually been completed and done and over with, um, but uh, whether whether or not this thing's going to be used, yeah, a lot of people are going. Uh, well, okay, it's there. Are we going to use it? And it looks like we are going to use it. Uh, but um, on whatever heavy lift vehicle that uh, is decided to be built, you know, either whether it whether you know we go with con- the congressional recommendation or we go with. Uh, uh, designing the uh, the heavy lift booster to meet a certain specification or a certain mission requirement, um, that tower is going to be used. Uh, from what uh, the article on spaceflight now NASA spaceflight.com, I'm sorry, uh, had said. However, it will require an extensive modification uh, to fit the vehicle because it is currently uh, configured for Ares One. So. Uh, uh, also, I believe, um, speaking of launch pads, that uh, Pad 39B, uh, there is going to be some demolition out there um, in the not-too-distant future. Unfortunately, yes, you are right. <laughs> yeah. Um, as uh, it says here, they're going to be exceptionally careful. Um, they're going to be remover, you know, they're going to be removing some some structures on Pad 39B. Um, however, they are not going to be completely, um, totally unsensitive to the fact that some of these structures are of a historic nature, and the uh, KSC Historic Preservation Office has sort of taken some steps to make sure that those fixtures are unique, and I believe they're also working with the United Space Alliance um, to uh, also remove any type of hazardous you know, structures or, or you know, systems that might be also getting in the way. Of any, uh, um, you know, of any type of demolition, but uh, yeah, Pad 39B is going to change drastically in the coming coming weeks and months. Just a little uh, tidbit on the uh, Ares One mobile launch platform. Uh, anybody that's been to Kennedy and seen it behind the VAB, uh, I remember seeing it in November of last year, and it wasn't that impressive. Uh, folks, it's impressive. It's finished. <laughs> it's got the permanent, uh, what I would call permanent uh, aircraft uh, obstruction lights to warn aircraft that there's a big, tall structure here. And uh, it's impressive. And uh, I, I do believe that the intent of NASA is to, to have a use for that. All right, then. Continuing along, here's a question for you. What do the Chilean miners who are being trapped have to do with NASA? Well, the Chilean government has actually asked the National Aeronautics and Space Administration 
for their help because they know a little thing about cramped quarters for long periods of time. Anybody else know a little bit more information about how NASA's helping out with Chile? Yeah, the um, Sawyer, the uh, uh, the Chilean government has. Uh, this is uh, from an article um, from the Christian Science Monitor, uh, dated um, uh, August twenty seventh. Uh, apparently, the Chilean government has been consulting with the National Aeronautics and Space Administration for uh, just some advice on how to keep uh, keep folks. Um, physically fit and, you know, sort of psychologically healthy for a long period of time in, in cramped quarters. They figure NASA is probably the ones to contact. They have some experience in these matters. And um, I guess they're going to apply those type of, uh, the same type of uh, um, things that NASA does to keep uh, uh, astronauts happy in uh, a cramped quarters on, in low Earth orbit. Um, to uh, to the Chilean miners that are unfortunately are trapped uh, are trapped underground. Yes, actually, Tom Jones, uh, who's been on our show before, uh, he's been on Fox News lately to discussing how NASA is actually helping out, and it's been great publicity. Uh, can you uh, relate a little bit, Sawyer, as far as um, what uh, what uh, Dr. Jones has been saying on uh, on on Fox with reference to this? I have not actually been able to see the clip or hear what he's been saying. However, I have seen on Twitter that he has been mentioning it and has posted links to the video so, of him discussing it. So uh, if you want, check out uh, Astronaut Tom Jones' Twitter account, and he has links to the videos of him discussing more about it. And links to that also will be in the show notes. Sounds good. Okay, then. Moving from weather that's chilly today, hot tamale... Oh. <laughs> I'm going to throw a triple at you, but anyway. <laughs> Let's continue on to our next topic, and that is the Kepler spacecraft has made quite the interesting discovery. It has not only found a star, but it has found something very interesting. I should say things that are very interesting transiting in front of it. It has found two exoplanets that have actually been uh, transiting around it, right? Yeah, according to what I'm reading here, um, this is uh, directly from the uh, uh, the NASA headquarters press release uh, that was related, released last Thursday. It did dis- detect uh, two uh, planetary systems with more one planet crossing in front of or transiting the same star. Um, the uh, transit signatures of two planets were seen in... Uh, in data for for the uh, for a sun-like star designated Kepler nine, so apparently this is something that uh, you know I'm, I'm trying to figure out why the thing was was designated that was it something that that Kepler itself had found or, or what? Um, the planets were named Kepler nine B and B and C, um, and this was uh, the the discovery went ahead and incorporated. Uh, uh, a few months of uh, observations of more than about, uh, according to the article here, of about 156 stars, 156,000 stars. I'm sorry, as part of an ongoing search for Earth-sized planets around um, uh, around uh, other solar systems. Um, it is still adding to uh, our possible targets for uh, for Earth-like planets, which is something that Kepler, I believe, is is assigned to do, and. Uh, uh, you know, at least uh, Kepler is doing its job. 
Yeah, that's definitely one of its main mission objectives. My guess is that they would call it that based on the fact that it might be the ninth major discovery that it's made or something like that. Yeah, I just want to want to find out too if this is this is a star system that Kepler itself had discovered, um, or is this just something that they were just targeting? I, I have to do some more homework on that, but um, yeah, uh, someone will have to look them. By the way, I like the name Tweedledee and Tweedledum better for nine B and nine C. Uh, I'll let that slide. <laughs> oh, I'm just chock full of them tonight. So uh, uh-huh. thank you. I'll be here all day. Try the salmon. And moving right along, Sawyer had an interesting experience this weekend with astronaut T.J. Kramer at the Intrepid Museum in New York City. Sawyer, can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah, happily. Uh, This weekend on, actually, it was the uh, 29th, Sunday the 29th. And uh, what happened was actually that um, I actually got to go in and meet TJ a little bit beforehand before he gave a presentation for everybody at the Intrepid. And he really is a great guy, a lot of fun and really unique. And it was just great to talk with him. And the best part is that I have an astronaut friend who's a member of the Air Force. And uh, TJ is a member of the Army. So when I told him that, based on what somebody asked me to tell them, they also warned me to duck before anything else. So I told him, you know, as a joke that the astronaut friend of mine told me, go Air Force and ducked. He was, he went, oh, but he was cool about it. So then he went ahead and gave his presentation about his Expedition 2223 Adventures aboard the International Space Station. And he is actually really funny. He is one of the funnier astronauts. He's close to uh, Mike Massimino funny. And a nice guy. And he seemed like he had more fun than anything on his adventure to the station. And uh, afterwards, he answered some questions. And I was surprised. This was the first astronaut encounter that I've ever gone to where the question, how do you go to the bathroom in space, wasn't asked. And that shocked me. There was much rejoicing over that. <laughs> For his sake, yes. Yeah, someone just asked, how do you shower in space? That was the closest that it got. But yeah, it, it really was just unique, and to see all the kids and the adults alike astonished by it. But the theater wasn't even full, which was the sad part. They were trying to get people to go and see him. Most people was just like, Oh, I'm at the Intrepid, and there's an astronaut speaking conveniently. Let me go see it. Although, the funniest part was, there was one guy that was there. He went with eight or nine of his pictures for TJ to sign. So, you know, he was signing them, and one of them was like, Oh, that's my Twitter picture. Do you follow me on Twitter? And he's like, No, what is it? He's like, uh, Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Astro underscore TJ. He was like, Huh? TJ was like, On second thought, never mind. So I'll leave you. I'll leave it at that. But he really, it really was a great speaker. It's interesting that he didn't didn't kind of grasp the concept on that one. I guess that yeah, you know, I, I kind of sort of take it for granted these days that uh, everybody kind of sort of knows about Twitter and the social networking thing. And, and I guess this kind of sort of fell on deaf ears a little bit. Yeah, because it's funny because you know I was going around to people and they're like, uh, do you know Timothy? like who they're like tim kramer I'm, I'm like do you mean tj kramer and then i realized that the t in his name was timothy 
And I'm like, I really know him as Astro underscore TJ more than anything. And it was cool tweeting with him before, during, and after the mission, and then getting to meet him. Yeah, sorry, I was trying to help help uh, the cause out a little bit. Unfortunately, I had a, a, a previous commitment also in New York City that I had to had to deal with this weekend. Um, but uh, en route on the uh, on the train in, um, this uh, couple that apparently was there, kind of you know, doing some. Uh, sightseeing was asking me since I'm sort of local. I guess they found out through my conversations with you know, or something, you know, what to do in New York. And I did give the Intrepid and uh, TJ Kramer's event a plug. I hope they got in there and, and saw that. Great, yeah, because <laughs> astronauts are always around giving speeches, so always keep your eye out for that, especially on Twitter. A lot of them will announce it. You can also go to the Collect Space website and go to the astronaut sightings link and you can look it up by astronaut or state, I believe, or month. And there's a fairly thorough up-to-date listing there of where you can find astronauts appearing all over the country. I actually did not know that, so thank you. And a link to that will be in the show notes. Sorry about Astro TJ's um, comments or TJ Kramer's comments. Um, I know got me calling by his Twitter ID now. Um, what other uh, things did uh, um, he have to say about his time up on uh, the International Space Station with reference to Expeditions 22 and 23? Well, mainly it was actually very humorous in his entire speech there. And uh, it seems like, for me, he had more fun than anything up there. He mentioned a lot of the science experiments and going through it. But mainly his experience is that he showed us at least was you know how he fits into his sleeping quarters when he got there how it was christmas how they were bringing that him floating around with uh, peppers the best was that he was up there on april 1st april fool's day and he played a little trick on houston what happened was he apparently there are loss of signals communication blackouts and uh normally it takes five minutes for audio to rejoin and seven minutes for video to rejoin so what happened was as the video as the audio came back they said uh houston we have a little bit of a predicament here they're like what is it they're like we can't really explain it we have to show it to you once we get uh visual back so i said okay you know you could tell everyone on the ground is like biting their nails of oh crud what went wrong and so they turned the camera on it's a photoshopped picture of the three crew members of Expedition 22-23, the crew that was there for that time. All of them outside the cupola with sunglasses on, waving. It was a photoshopped image of that. <laughs> <laughs> so they have Photoshop on the space station? Apparently they do. Excellent. And, and they just had a video camera on that computer screen, and as they were keying the mic, you could hear every single person in Mission Control was just cracking up. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Even astronauts have April Fool's Day on, in space. But really, if you ever get a chance, he's an elegant speaker and very, very humorous. And even my mom and my grandfather, who went as well, really, really enjoyed it more than they thought they would because... He is funny. <laughs> he really is. All right, now moving on to our last subject, 
Talking Space was a proud sponsor of Space Up DC, which is an unconference that just recently occurred, and our very own Gene McCulka was there. So uh, could you give us a little bit of a rundown of what went on? I'll try, sir. Uh, the, there's, um, there's so much that happened at the event. I'll, I'll try to go ahead and give you a little bit of a digest here. First off, I had no idea what the devil an unconference was, and I re- this was only the, the second time that this had, had actually been done. Uh, uh, Space Up San Diego occurred, I believe, uh, during the winter time uh, of this year, and uh, one of the attendees, a gentleman by the name of Mike uh, Dubos, uh, decided he had so much fun that he was going to go ahead and throw one here in, in the D.C. area, where, where he's sort of local to. Um, so what the devil is an unconference? Um, well, anybody who sort of attends these things are encouraged to give a talk, moderate a panel, start a discussion or, or, or whatever. Um, before, uh, the day begins, uh, we kind of just sort of, you know, all the uh, attendees meet, there were about maybe 70, 75, I think maybe 80, um, uh, folks in uh, in attendance. I don't know what exactly the uh, the final tally was, um, but I know there was about maybe 75 that had committed uh, to attending uh, as of Wednesday. Um, but uh, what you do, you just sort of gather in one place. We kick off the conference, and there is a grid uh, that sort of hangs up outside, and you are encouraged to go ahead and place whatever you want to talk about on that grid. And uh, uh, folks kind of just sort of stand around and say, oh, okay, here, here's what's going on, this, that, and the other thing. And just sort of go ahead and fill in your time. And uh, there were a lot of people over there doing a lot of good stuff. Um, I could f- try to go ahead and, and, and reiterate a little bit. Um, if anybody's kind of sort of interested, they can still go to the SpaceUp website. That is spaceup.org and uh, take a look at... Uh, um, take a look at uh, uh, some of the, uh, uh, the YouTube videos that have been placed out there. Also, there's uh, a link to that if you go to our website, TalkingSpaceOnline.com. On the sidebar, you'll see Talking Space is a proud sponsor of Space Up DC. If you click on the logo, it'll take you to the website. Yep, that'll do it. Um, so uh, uh, we went ahead and filled in uh, anything we wanted to talk about and uh, dived on in. Um, also, there's something here on uh, uh, on these little events called Ignite Talks, and I had never seen a concept like that before as well, where you go ahead and you have 20 slides in five minutes to go ahead and talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, that's a challenge, and uh, there were a few hardy souls that, uh, that took up that challenge. So, uh, again, if you look up uh, uh, the YouTube video uh, on that, that was, that was quite an, an incredible... Uh, incredible little deal there there too i'll try to go ahead and sort of recap some of uh what i, I was going ahead and, and learning throughout you know, this in, entire thing um there's a gentleman from uh jpl uh really cool guy by the name of doug ellison and uh he is uh rolling out in october in fact he showed us a little bit of a demonstration this um, uh, something called the uh, JPL Explorer engine, which uh, it aims to uh, go ahead and show real-time solar system data in a browser. So it, it has some visualizations of planetary orbits, comets, you know, zooming on uh, 
on the uh, on, on the paths that they are and, and so on. Plus, um, have all of the uh, the orbiting spacecraft uh, that we have in service. And, you know, Cassini, uh, MRO, Voyager, uh, the whole lot. And if you wanted to go ahead and figure out where Voyager was in quote real time, or at least in real time as we can collect it, you could go ahead and do that. The 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 demonstration of the software was just absolutely amazing. And again, this this gets launched in October, and I hope to go ahead and and uh, have uh, Doug on the show here at that period of time so we can discuss this a little further because it showed uh, the Voyager data. Um, and uh, demonstrated uh, its uh, whole planetary flyby itinerary, um, and also demonstrated the uh, the slingshot maneuver that it took uh, to uh, get to Jupiter. Um, and it really, really demonstrated what a slingshot maneuver does and what it's what it really is supposed to look like, and so on. Um, it's uh, it is really, really quite a quite a neat tool. Um, if you want to also, if you want to, uh, if you're interested and want to follow Doug on Twitter, his uh, Twitter ID is uh, Doug, Doug, D-O-U-G underscore Ellison, E-L-L-I-S-O-N. Um, so go ahead and take take a look. Very engaging fellow. Um, of course, uh, Tim Bailey, who does his uh, Yuri's Night uh, uh, event, who's uh, sort of in charge of that, put in a good plug, plug for that, a nice uh, uh, presentation for that. Um, also, a gentleman by the name of uh, Sandy Atkins um, put on a little bit of a uh, demonstration on uh, uh, what he may be doing with tube sets and what possibly maybe you could do with a tube set. His whole thing was, uh, uh, you know, say you were you know, some sort of supervillain and you wanted to go ahead and, and, and do some wrong with this tube set. Well, of course you can't, but. Um, the interesting concept, though, of the tube sets and, and, and the cube sets are that they uh, do some very interesting stuff, but they also could be deorbited rather, rather quickly after their useful time um, is over. And they're so small that they'll just go ahead and burn up in the atmosphere. You don't have to go ahead and worry about, you know, you know the, the thing debris ending up on somebody's lawn. Um, so it, it kind of solves some of the, uh, the problems with... Uh, uh, all the uh, junk that's up there orbiting right now. So you know you're you're going ahead and using this thing, and and you're bringing it down in a, in a responsible manner. Um, Mark, another gentleman that I ran into was a gentleman um, by the name of uh, Ken Davidian. Um, he uh, sort of introduced a little bit of. Uh, um, uh, he's current, but first off, let me let me tell him he's currently with the FAA. And uh, with the FAA Center of Excellence, and his uh, ideal right now, and apparently he is involved with uh, trying to deal with uh, suborbital uh, suborbital markets and uh, disruption theory. If you want to go ahead and look that up, please, you know, you can go ahead and Google that, and, and it'll tell you what what disruption theory is all about. But uh, Ken's primary job right now is to try to you know, sort of hammer out what the suborbital uh, vehicles are, are going to do, what testing is involved, and so on. He does work with NASA, um, but the FAA, is, is what surprised me uh, to find out, is actually leading the charge on that one. Um, I can let, let me just go on a little little further here. Our very own uh, friend Craftlast was there, and she uh, did a, a performance of uh, the infamous Bake Cell for NASA song there. Um, and uh, 
another presentation there too was uh, sort of taking um, part in uh, participatory exploration um, uh, to uh, folks um, by the name of uh, uh, Sarah I- Ironman. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. I'm, I apologize. And Sarah Mitchell. Uh, they're both from uh, NASA's Educational Out- Outreach uh, uh, Division. And uh, we're just trying to figure out what 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 to do um, with all of that. You know, if you're struggling to do do outreach, you know, what do you do? Um, you just just sort of you know just sort of let let people in. Um, you know, how to how did how does Na- you know what what can NASA do to leverage all all of this? And um, NASA's like, well, simply as a as a taxpayer, you know, they we've got the right to know what you know the, the scientists are 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 doing. And um, you know what their what data is being collected and so on, um, and that was basically what, what they they were trying trying to say here. Also, another uh, 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 fine person from NASA's outreach office, a uh, lady by the name of uh, Amy Kaminsky. Uh, apparently, she had some some in, um, information too, working um, uh, with uh, she was with OMB for a little while, the Office of Management and Budget. Um, but now works in the NASA Mission Directorate, um, and uh, uh, her whole whole deal is to support. Her whole deal too is just trying to figure out what NASA is doing right and what NASA is doing wrong in its outreach efforts. And uh, she basically put the question out to us: What is it doing right and what is it doing wrong? Um, a few other people had some you know suggestions as far as tweaks to the NASA website, like for instance, if you were um, you know, you're looking at a one one. Uh, uh, you're looking at an article, and uh, it, right now there's no recommendations for looking at other articles within in the NASA website. You know, sort of like if you're looking at uh, Amazon or something like that, or shopping, and, and you found one thing thing saying, "Hey, you know, people that have bought this also bought this." Well, people have that are reading this are also reading this. So. Um, that was one recommendation and so on. I kind of told them what they were doing right, which um, uh, Ms. Kaminsky actually appreciated a little bit because she said she, she said you were always hearing what we're doing wrong. Um, the, uh, you know, I told them flat out that the, uh, the tweet up program that they initiated has just been a smashing success in my opinion. Uh, people have gone to these events, whether they be at the Johnson Space Flight Center or the Kennedy Space Center, and uh, you guys kind of roll out the red carpet for us, and uh, uh, you uh, you really really uh, um, do a good job in that. We see things that not everybody gets to see. We get access to people that not everybody gets access to. We take photographs and all this, and we go home and we share all of that and all that experience with others. And uh, lo and behold, uh, it, it really, really generates enthusiasm. I know for a fact that you know I go back and I go back with little souvenirs from work, and people are like, "Oh wow, what's you know, this is this is incredible." I gave out some uh, some uh, mission pins at, uh, at after STS-129, the, the event I had gone to, and you would think I handed out gold uh, to to the folks at work. Uh, because they were like in all of these things. So in that respect, NASA is doing something absolutely correct. Um, 
So, but their, her main thrust right now is is how do you keep uh, these? How do you keep how do you keep doing things right, and how do you correct things? Another uh, presentation that didn't happen, unfortunately, because uh, I guess um, there were other things going on, and I was kind of kind of disappointed in it because it seemed like a rather intriguing project. A uh, gentleman by the name of uh, uh, Sandy uh, Attunes, and I don't. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right. My apologies. Um, has a very interesting little project going called Project Calliope. It's, uh, according, if you want to learn a little bit more about it, it is um, projectcalliope.com. I will spell that out. Uh, project P R O J E C T C A L L I O P I E dot com. Um, and a it's link will a, be in the show uh, notes. Thank you, sir. Um, it's a satellite, according to the website, that's being launched um, by himself, a space and music enthusiast, on a TubeSat platform. And uh, he had the actual parts to this thing that he's putting together with him in a very small metal case. And I was looking at this thing. I was like, my God, this is incredible. Um it, to, uh, to 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 kind of reiterate, it's going to be a uh, a uh, ionospheric detect detector transmitting sonifiable data back to Earth for web streaming and remixing. Conceptually, and I'm quoting directly from the site here, it is a musical instrument in space, played by space rather than just after the fact, you know, sonified. Uh, apparently, we like the. It goes on. We like the idea of flying something in space whose purpose is to make music until it dies, and essentially music from science. Um, it it sounds like a really fun project and done on a shoestring. And and I'm going to have to see if I can get him on on here to go ahead and talk about that further. Because um, I was I was absolutely intrigued. And this was only day one, guys. Um, day two. Um, was uh, one of my favorite sessions from day two was actually with Sarah Mitchell and uh, Sarah Ironman again and they were essentially sort of tapping out our brains a little bit and trying to find out if there was um, any places where science can be appreciated in an unconventional environment um, meaning a ballpark say or, or somewhere like that and you know, where do you put these little science blurbs um, on there? Sort of like you know, one-minute lines, like "Did you know X?" You know, uh, or something like that. Like "Did you know the moon is a quarter of a million miles away?" Or something along those lines. And there were suggestions all over the place. Little you know, your food packets, or you know, in in the in in you know behind the the bottle caps, the way they are in Snapple, or something along those lines. Um, just a lot of really, really cool ideas that were percolating over there. In fact, I'm going to be writing both of these folks first, thanking them for their time because they were both extraordinarily gracious people. But also, they were really, really wanting to hear what we had to say. That you know, uh, what can and also what can we do to sort of sort of help NASA out a little bit in in, in respect with their uh, with their outreach programs and and they were very very receptive to picking our brains um, it's not like they ran out of ideas but I guess they're they're just trying to make sure that they have enough of them in their uh, uh, their Swiss Army knives to uh, to continue forward um, 
the last talk of the, the event, and it's one, unfortunately, I missed. And I just saw it this afternoon on, uh, on YouTube. Again, it was uh, by, uh, by Doug Ellison from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And uh, his whole deal was, why are we all here? Why did we go ahead and spend treasure and time to come to this event? What is it that compels you to do it? And why are you essentially a, an activist in this whole thing? And a lot of people gave the typical, you know, the typical answers. You know, I've been in, into this since I was a little kid, you know, and, and that was something that crossed my mind, uh, since that's the truth in my case. And they gave some of the other the typical arguments that um, you know, the, the economic benefits of, of space flight, how uh, uh, it does create jobs, it injects money into the economy, although a bit of a debate kind of got launched a little bit as far as the numbers of that are concerned. Um, it was, uh, you know, again, trying to inspire the next generation and continue uh, exploring to find out what our place in the universe really truly is. Um, and also just to explore. And one of the participants brought up the, the, the fact that uh, the Chinese um, long, a long, long time ago during the days of the emperor at one point had drawn back. They had sort of pulled back on explore, exploration and actually burned their ex exploratory boats so they could not go ahead and explore anymore. And because of that, they basically languished for 400 years. You didn't hear a peep out of them. Meanwhile, the um, things like uh, the, the Renaissance kind of just sort of passed them by. And we run the same danger here in the United States as well if we go ahead and pull back because that's sort of a, uh, an indication that, that something within the culture is dying. So that was another thing that came up. But one thing that, that, that I didn't hear in the talk, and it was probably something I would have contributed had I been there. I had to leave the event early, unfortunately. Um, was this? If anybody kind of sort of remembers um, the old Babylon Five series uh, from the first season, it, there was one episode where uh, the commander of the, the station was asked by a news reporter, "Is this all worth it?" As far as exploration is concerned, and. Um, the commander's response, and I guess it was uh, the the uh, series creator, J. Michael Straczynski, kind of speaking through that, that using this particular character to express his feelings, and they're the same as mine. Um, you talk about, you talk to any scientist, and they'll give you several different reasons why we should, you know, continue moving on. But there's one thing that they they will all agree on: that at one point in time, our sun will basically die. We'll expand to a red giant and take out the entire inner solar system, Mercury, Venus, and probably the Earth as well. And when it does, it will not only take out the generation that is sitting there on Earth, it will take out people like, oh, I don't know, Marilyn Monroe and Sun Tzu and, and Einstein and Hawking and Washington, Jordan, and all, everyone. All of it will be for nothing if we don't reach out out of the cradle and into the stars to preserve what we are. And that, to me, is the most compelling reason uh, to do all of this, to go ahead and preserve well, preserve ourselves. And that's probably what I, what I would have shared at that.
But um, there were several really, really great events. There was an interest. There were also some very interesting little contests. Um, we had some items there as well uh, that we uh, donated for uh, that the show anyway donated uh, uh, for the event, and they were won. One of them was a uh, three of three of the the uh, the four prizes we donated were flown items. Um, from uh, each of the orbiters, and I would, I'm very happy to say that on Sunday, a small child had won the Atlantis, I believe it was Atlantis anyway, um, uh, tile remnant. Um, so they came, they went home with a, with a piece of the orbiter. Um, but uh, again, a fun time was had by all. We had a little bit of a triple war, thanks to the folks over at Think Geek. Uh, one, one day, um, let me just, I will wake up my buddy here. Well, don't be angry. There we go. Um, so uh, you know we had a you know, and this was this was a just a whacked out contest, but I I hadn't had so much fun in a long time. Um, just just again, I will I will give a, a a good tip of the hat to anybody who had anything to do with organizing this. I walked away even more energized and wanting to help further the. On uh, the goal of uh, of human spaceflight, uh, walking out of there as as I did when I came in. So uh, um, I'm I'm eager to go ahead and hit the road and and uh, and keep plugging away. All right. Any last questions or comments on space up DC? Other than the fact I had a a grand old time, and I want to again give a a huge tip of the hat to uh, uh, Mike Lewis and. Uh, um, anybody else that had uh, any involvement with uh, putting that together, they did a very, they did a pretty good job, and uh, I'm kind of looking forward to uh, diving in headfirst next time uh, um, on, at the next space up. By the way, here's a question for you: You know what hmm? DC stands for? Other than District of Columbia. Uh huh. The capital. Okay. Where is he? Duck Sawyer, duck. <laughs> where is he? Why do I think I'm going to be hit with the triple? Oh, where is it? Oh, come on, gosh darn. Better not be angry at me. Anyway, before I get hit with the triple, after... <laughs> uh... <laughs> You had to know that was coming. <laughs> oh, I knew, I knew. On that note, All right, folks. on that note, I'd say we call this episode finished. All right, I've stopped with the jokes. <laughs> uh, well, thank you once again for joining us, everybody. Thank you, oh, Gene McCulloch. My pleasure, Sawyer. It was a, a again. It was a. This has been a fun show. Thank you as well to your triple. My jokes were bad. Thank you as well, Mark Ratterman. Well, at least we don't really know what the Tribbles are saying. You can always think it's something positive, right, Sora? Exactly. Not that they're trying to take over the world or anything. And thank you as well, Gina Hurley. My pleasure. That was the most sane thing I heard out of all of us. <laughs> you see what happens? Just keeping you... it real. Exactly. Somebody had to. <laughs>
All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us and have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are. <laughs>